0: Hello, this is Summer Bach, and today we'll be mapping functional ferments on the 15-Minute Matrix.
1: Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on how to use the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with my good friend, Summer Bach. Summer is a trained herbalist certified in integrative nutrition through Columbia University. A raver in her early 20s, devastating allergies emerged that left her exhausted, hive-ridden, and only able to consume 30 foods without a reaction, a scenario that stumped the medical community. Leveraging her background in microbiology and fascination with gut health, Summer healed herself through research and formulation of various digestive bitters, which she now produces for her Guts and Glory Apothecary Online. Summerbach coined the phrase gut rebuilding, which is now a cornerstone terminology in the integrative health conversation. She is the founder of the Fermentationist Certification Program, which you can find linked in the show notes. Hey Summer, I'm so glad to have you join us here on the 15 Minute Matrix and to get to spend some time with you. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. So, you're the goddess of ferments. I think by now, unlike a decade ago, which you could probably speak to, we've all kind of re-familiarized ourselves with the importance of fermented foods. But can you tell us a bit more about what you mean by functional ferments?
0: Functional ferments is a term that I developed when I was researching fermented foods and the health benefits, we have a term that's called functional foods, and these are foods that provide innate health benefit. The functional ferments are the fermented foods that have probiotics that are naturally occurring, and maybe even increased nutrients through the fermentation process. Whereas some ferments like beer, wine, maybe even cheese, some of these other ones, they're just not as strongly health beneficial as some of the ones that I'll talk about today.
1: Let's go right in and talk about which foods you would consider functional ferments
0: before we kind of get into the matrix and where these help us. Absolutely. Fermented vegetables is a big one. Lacto-fermented vegetables that don't contain vinegar because vinegar can actually kill off the probiotic organisms. Kefir, traditionally made kefir, I wanna specify that, the kind that you find in the store is not actually the kind that's been studied. This is just more of a kefir-like, yogurt-like beverage. There's still some benefit to it, but there's just much, much more benefit to the traditionally made kefir. We also have idlis, tempeh, natto, vinegars, kombucha, miso, injera, sourdoughs. Mm. And there's a few others out there too, but those are the main ones. So we can start
1: thinking about bringing those foods in. When we look at traditional societies and we think about how they consumed these functional ferments, what do we see in a difference between our current
0: culture and why were they consuming them? It started out with a form of preservation. Before we had refrigeration, somebody had to figure out how to make food last longer. And that's how kefir was developed. How could we preserve milk without it going sour? And so over time there became this symbiotic relationship between these organisms and these kefir grains developed, they believe, in like in the sacs, like maybe even like stomachs that they use to hold right. the milk. And that these little curds, like they're really gelatinous, that they developed. And then over time, humans started passing these around to each other. And every time they had new fresh milk, they'd plop some of those grains in because they noticed that it wouldn't go bad. It would select for the right microorganisms to be growing. The pH would change rapidly. And this was a great way to preserve the milk. Similarly with sauerkraut and other fermented vegetables, this was the way that people made it through the winter without dying. Maybe if it wasn't so drastic as dying, it helped them develop the resiliency against things like nutrient deficiency, scurvy, and various things like that. So, you know, it's just it's a way to preserve the foods that back in the day when we couldn't ship our food from all around the country and all around the world, you had to have everything with you right where you were. So this was developed as a way to preserve food naturally. And through that process, we actually evolved with these bacteria. And they've taken up residence in our guts and created this beautiful, diverse microbiome. So I think it's a fantastic relationship that we have with these foods and the organisms. When we look at gastrointestinal function
1: for the common day patient, what are you seeing happening that you can address with these functional ferments?
0: I think one common misunderstanding around the gut microbiome is that most people are taking probiotics and they feel that they're good. They're like, okay, I'm taking my probiotics. I'm good. My microbiome is fine, right? And practitioners may believe this too, but I think that that's a real big problem because when we look at an ecosystem, whether we're looking at a forest, like a, a giant ecosystem or a microscopic ecosystem, like in our gut, the same laws of nature apply. So if you have a forest fire and the whole thing burns down, you don't send in a bunch of bunnies back right. to the state and say, hey guys, rebuild this ecosystem, like build the forest back for us. That's not how it works. When we hand somebody probiotics after they've annihilated that forest using antibiotics or even With like a flu or maybe even like a foodborne illness something like that that's not going to be an appropriate way to rebuild it that's not the only thing that rebuilds that ecosystem it involves the food that you're taking in it also involves the nutrients it involves the ph and it involves the neurotransmitters all the chemicals and hormones that the body is producing as well these are all the different factors so i think it's really important when we're talking about functional ferments What we're looking at is a stabilized ecosystem, like in a lacto-fermented food, for example, like in a sauerkraut, you have a stabilized ecosystem with a lower pH, a little bit more acidic, and this helps to fertilize and nurture that ecosystem, not just with the live organisms that are present, but with the organic acids, the bacteriocins, all these other components to it, And it helps create a better environment for that ecosystem to regenerate. I love that you're talking about it as an
1: ecosystem, because we can think about the microbiome, but it really is a larger ohm, right? Like it's a larger environment we need to be thinking about with all those secretions that the lactoferments are helping with. So if we go into the realm of the gastrointestinal health, do you see issues resolve, like actual symptoms resolve when people are brainwashed? in functional ferments and are there times where you have to start low and go slow? The most
0: common issues that resolve with functional ferments are generally digestive complaints constipation diarrhea indigestion even nutrient assimilation issues certain nutrient deficiencies we see help with immune systems people yeah. they get sick less often when they're getting the right amount of ferments and so the problem in the US is that we have this super sized me mentality i tell people that ferments are good and so then they start eating bowls and bowls of <laughs> right. ferments every day and like that's not quite the point but that can actually be a little too much and we don't want to overdo it. So, you know, you asked that question earlier about like cultures all over the world. All these amazing cultures are they're adding in condiment-sized ferments to each meal. Right. So, it's part of the meal, it's helping them stimulate saliva, it's helping digest the food. The probiotics that are present in that ferment are going to help digest that food as well. And there's just so many benefits. But there are some people, like people with histamine issues, SIBO, who react strongly to ferments. And I know that that happened for me for a period of time personally as well. So I've worked with that in my own body, and then I have a lot of clients that deal with histamine issues. Most people have the recommendation to take out ferments. Like their practitioner, or their functional medicine practitioner will say, you know, take out all ferments if you're reacting to it. But in the long run, that's not the best plan because then you're dealing with somebody who is basically a ticking time bomb, right? You know, they've already got SIBO or they have histamine issues. That's clear that their immune system isn't working. If they have histamine issues, it's not modulating itself properly. And so all it's going to take is one big stressful event in their life or an exposure to the flu or something that could just set them over the edge into maybe some sort of autoimmunity episode or just start spiraling into a really negative place. So the ideal situation for somebody who can't tolerate ferments is to start adding a little bit at a time, just like a tiny amount. If they can't tolerate any at all, then my recommendation is actually to work more with the diet and figure out how to create the soil yes. of the ecosystem, and the soil of the ecosystem is the food. Yes, I generally recommend a low microbe diet for a period of time to help that soil just clean itself up. Sometimes it means that there's often the wrong organisms growing, either there's an infection or just an imbalance, And that's what's telling the immune system to keep freaking out.
1: Yeah, Can you share what you mean by a low microbe diet? I know that what you're speaking to really resonates for me, Summer, because I feel like people come in with too many food eliminations, and it's actually the nutrient eliminations that we identify are harming us that give the appropriate clinician clues about where to go next. because. As you're saying, it's not that we should eliminate ferments, it's that there's some pre-work to be done before the ferments, and especially these functional ferments, which are necessary, can be introduced. So can you say a little bit more what you mean by that
0: low-microbe diet? Absolutely. So there's a couple aspects to consider, but when I'm thinking of the low microbe diet, I generally mean it's a short period of time, but going more towards a vegan diet and focusing on primarily plant-based foods so that you're just adding in soil that only the right kinds of microbes can grow in. Oftentimes when people are struggling with histamine issues, for example, they generally have candida overgrowth and some other gut infections. And they've tended towards going on this low-carb diet because they tend to react to grains and all these other carbohydrate foods. It causes them gastric distress, bloating, gas, all sorts of things like that. It's problematic because ultimately they've actually reduced all of the good starches that feed a healthy microbiome. But when you go low carb like that, if you're dealing with histamine issues, you're not getting the glucose that you need for the liver to break down histamine. And so tends to keep people stuck in this cycle of kind of just like a moderate level of histamine. So then they take all the histamine foods and a lot of the ferments are high histamine, which is why most people are reacting to them. And they end up with this restricted diet that doesn't allow for the ecosystem in the gut to actually be diverse enough to help grow and calm everything down. It's a step-by-step process, but the first step in that, that low-microbe diet, is really about trusting your body and trusting food and trusting that process that you can heal using those things and starting to expand what you can eat And from there, over time, expanding more, getting into some of the grains, some more starches if you can't handle grains, and then eventually leading to the point where you can add in a little bit of ferments. Because in the long run, it is the best case scenario for you to be eating a healthy, diverse diet. The more diverse your diet, the more diverse your microbiome and the healthier you will be ultimately. Beautiful. I really want to
1: remind people to listen to Dr. Michael Ash's episode number 52 on short chain fatty acids and episode number 13 with Dr. Liz Lipsky mapping prebiotics. And these are related to what you're talking about, where we forget about how we nurture the microbiome by eating these prebiotic foods. One of the things that comes up for me as you're talking is structural integrity. I think we forget that the ferments feed the microbial terrain, that soil, and that actually is part of our structural integrity. It's part of our healing mechanism to address things like gut hyperpermeability or leaky gut. Can you talk more about the fermented foods and that structural element of the GI? The part for
0: me that I find the most fascinating about this is that people are dealing with intestinal permeability on a varying rate every single day with yes, every single meal. Absolutely. And it's not only the food that's going to impact that, but it's also stress levels. Stress levels can help make it more permeable. Histamine actually makes it more permeable instantaneously. And so when you're able to bring in the fermented foods, you have all of these different organic acids, as well as like what you talked about, the short chain fatty acids. This is all feeding the lining of the gut. And not only that, when you have any kind of digestive impairment, you tend to be breaking down protein poorly. So you're not getting all these free amino acids that you need to feed the lining of the gut. And that's been one of the major deficiencies. People always talk about, oh, like practitioners, you can't have a protein deficiency. And yet I'm working with people all the time in my practice who are amino acid deficient and it's preventing their gut lining from being able to heal. So you bring in some of these more acidic foods and you increase digestion and it makes protein more easily broken down through that digestive process. I love how we were able to move through
1: really the antecedents of where these functional foods came from, how they were used, why were they used, and also looking at how they then improve our body's function. It's why these are functional foods. If you're looking at the functional nutrition matrix, Summer, is there anything else that you would want to share with practitioners about
0: these functional foods? The main thing that I would say that I've noticed in my practice that I can't help but highlight in this moment, I just mentioned a second ago, was stress. It is one of the biggest problems that people are experiencing in terms of also seeing gut health issues. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm working with people who have SIBO, who have histamine issues, who have any kind of like just digestive flare-ups or autoimmunity These days, I'm focusing so much more of my time and energy on stress because a lot of them already know how to eat clean. Most of them are actually restricting their diet too much. We're learning to bring more foods in, but the stress component and even some anxiety and fear around food is actually tripping up this whole healing process. I'm realizing there's so many people these days that haven't even spent time in a state of rest and digest or rest and restore the parasympathetic state. On a daily basis, to feel comfortable enough to just be hanging out in a relaxed state. They're not there. They're in chronic fight or flight. Totally. And it's causing people to experience major issues within their enteric nervous system because your central nervous system is connected. When your central nervous system is activated with adrenaline, cortisol, whatever else is up from that state of fight or flight, it's immediately all those chemicals are communicating to the enteric nervous system. Seeing people with all these digestive issues, if we're not handling the stress piece, It is not going to help resolve, and so that's the first step I'm taking with people these days more and more, and we find that when you handle that piece, all of a sudden you can open up that repertoire of foods and start to eat more ferments, start to eat more foods that you thought that you were maybe allergic or intolerant to, but really it was a ton of stress and anxiety and your body and your digestion was just shutting down
1: so beautifully said. I really love how you're pointing out that stress is what I would call a tier one issue. It is a non-negotiable. We have to be addressing it for healing. I think too many people are bypassing these non-negotiables and you're really speaking into the matrix, how everything impacts everything else. Thank you so much, Summer.
0: Absolutely. My pleasure.
1: The 15 Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nagiyama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The 15 Minute Matrix team includes music by my son, Gilbert Nakayama, Carla Schaefer on sound production, as well as Renee Hunt, Natalie Merrill, and Christine Shook. You can visit us and hear more episodes at 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified each time there's a new podcast episode ready and waiting for you, please go to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. We'll be sure to drop into your inbox with a short reminder that a new episode is ready for you. You also have an open invitation to email us. We'd love to hear from you. I want to know who you'd like to hear on the podcast and what you'd like to see mapped on the 15-Minute Matrix. You can email us with those recommendations and suggestions at ask at 15minutematrix.com.